Thanks for joining us today for the Fellowship Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, visit fbcpanamacity.com. Now, here's today's message. series that we'll have here over the next few weeks and want to entitled it entitle it a kingdom building culture a kingdom building culture and uh, over the last couple of weeks we've been talking about um, being a witness that we need to be um, and I think I think it's all it's important for us to be reminded of that right uh, that we are to be telling people and sharing with people the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here at Fellowship Baptist Church, it is God's desire uh, that we have a culture here of kingdom building, um, that we desire to build the kingdom of God. What do I mean by that? Uh, In order to to build the kingdom of God, we must share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must let others know in order for them to accept Christ and build the kingdom of God. And we are called to be kingdom builders. And uh, we here at Fellowship Baptist Church want that type of culture here um, at Fellowship. But for 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is where we're going to be. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. And I'm look at verse number 14, and we're going to read through verse number 21 this morning. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Would you agree with that? We're not to be living for ourselves, but for the one who died for us and rose again. Verse number number 16 Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now, henceforth, know know we him no more. Speaking, he's no longer there on earth. He's ascended to the Father. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself By Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, because of all that that Christ has done for us in reconciling us to God, now then, We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I want to talk to you this morning. Part of being a kingdom-building culture is we have to be motivated by love, by our love for Jesus and the gospel. In order for us to develop a 
culture here of kingdom building, building and kingdom builders, we must be motivated by our love for Jesus and his gospel. The Bible says here in verse number 14, for the love of Christ, what? Constraineth us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we love you. We're so thankful for your precious word. We're thankful for the truth that we just read about this morning, how you have reconciled us to God. God, that you have given us the the responsibility to be now ambassadors of reconciliation. God, you talked to us in this, in this, you spoke to us in this scripture how you imputed, uh, God, our sin was imputed to your account and your righteousness was imputed to ours. God, we're so thankful for you, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that as we get into your word this morning that you would help us that, Father, your love toward us and the gospel of Jesus Christ would motivate us to be kingdom builders. Lord, and that you would challenge our hearts today to love those around us, to see them as Christ sees them, and to share the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Help us, Father, as we get into your word. I need you. I ask that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me the words to say this morning, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. You may be seated. I, I believe in personal evangelism, right? We've talked about that over the last two weeks. Uh, I believe it's very important that we are, are personally evangelizing, and we need to be equipped for that. But since I also believe that the church is the engine of evangelism, then we need to develop cultures of evangelism, in our churches. We don't want here at Fellowship Baptist Church just a few people speaking of Jesus. We want the whole church to speak of Jesus. Not a lot of amens on that, and that's kind of concerning, but listen, we want the whole church to speak of Jesus. A culture of kingdom builders that desire to build the kingdom of God here in our surrounding area. And you know, there's a lot of benefits of a kingdom building culture. One I can think of is holding each other accountable. You know, it's, it's wise for us to hold each other accountable when it comes to this thing of evangelizing. It's, there, there's not a problem with someone coming up to me and saying, hey, who are you talking to the Lord about? Who, do you, who are you praying about that God would give you opportunities? We need to hold each other accountable for those things. Not only that, but we strengthen our mutual resolve. We want to build the kingdom of God, so, so we're able to strengthen that, that mutual resolve. We learn from one another. We learn from one another as we talk and we speak about how we try to reach individuals, right? We rejoice together in success and we cry together when we fail. It's a team effort. It's a job that we are to do together, but also we can bond through shared experiences in these intense situations that we go through. There's benefits to being having a culture of kingdom builders. You see, the church at Corinth here was a mess. They were a complete mess. There, was click, there were cliques that were fighting each other. There was sexual immorality that was just uh, be, running rampant throughout the church. There was a lack of care for other people. They were misusing the Lord's Supper and false teachers were coming in and they were leading sheep astray. They were a mess. And Paul writes the two letters to them, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, to 
try to um, encourage them, to, to rebuke them, but also to challenge them. And, and Paul takes on their lack of love for others, particularly their lack of evangelistic fervor for the lost. You see, Paul was striving to produce and help produce a culture of kingdom builders in Corinth. That's what he's trying to do here. And in 2 Corinthians chapter number five, he understood that a kingdom building culture is motivated by love for Jesus and his gospel. Do you love Jesus this morning? Are you thankful for the gospel of reconciliation this morning? It should motivate you to have part in the ministry of reconciliation. It should motivate us to tell our neighbors, to tell our family of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And so this morning, I want us to go through these verses that we just previously read and talk about being motivated by love for Jesus and his gospel. Look at verse number 14 and 15. For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. He uses that word constraineth. That word constraineth means to press together, to compel or control. And it, it, it was not, understand, it was not our love for Christ that compels us. He's not, it's not what he says here. But he says, but Christ's love for us, that was going to be the controlling factor in our lives. His love for us. The gospel is what is to control our lives. John wrote this. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. We love people. Why? Because he first loved us. His love toward us should motivate us. It should constrain us to tell others about him. Understand here that constraineth is also in the present tense means that it is an ongoing action. His love continually is to constrain us, to compel us. His love, the gospel, is continually to, to uh, 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 constrain us and, and motivate us. Listen, it is the knowledge that Christ loves us that compels us to love others. It is the knowledge that Christ loves us that compels us to love others. Listen, God's love, it presses in on all sides, doesn't it, right? It, it compels us, it, it compresses. And Paul here is overwhelmed by the saving love of God. What was, what was Paul con convinced of? That Christ died our death for us, that we might live his life for him, right? That's what he's convinced of. Who died, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.10, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Church, does the gospel, does the love of God towards you, the unconditional love of God towards you, does it compel you? Does it motivate you to love others? He says here that the, that the love of God, it constraineth us so much so that we are to live our lives for the one who loved us. Everything that we do, keep Jesus first, right? 
because he loved us. He deserves it. He is worthy of our love. He is worthy of our devotion. He goes on to say in verse number 16, wherefore, henceforth, all right, because he died for us, when you see those words wherefore, you always look back, henceforth, because of these things, know we no man after the flesh. Now, if you study this verse and what he's saying here, that word know means regard. It means to regard. So we regard, henceforth, because of his love and the, the love that constrain us, we regard after, meaning according to the flesh. We no longer regard according to the flesh, meaning we don't look at people just for their appearance. We don't look for people just for their, their flesh, their outward appearance. That's what he's saying here. The love of Christ constraineth us so much so that we see people differently, is what he's saying. We see people now differently. Paul's understanding of God's amazing grace, it changed the way that he viewed people. And that's how it should be for us. If we're going to be a culture of kingdom builders, we must see people as God sees them. We must allow the, the grace of God that he has bestowed in our life. Did any of you deserve the grace of God? No. But understand, he still bestowed that grace upon us and he gives us grace each and every day. And we should see that and it should change the way that we look at other people. You see, from the moment of salvation on the Damascus Road, Paul started seeing people with different eyes. There's an, an, an individual, a, Christ, a gospel writer named Matthew West, and he, he writes this song entitled, Give Me Your Eyes. And here's some of the words. It says, give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see everything that I keep missing. Give me your love for humanity. Give me your arms for the brokenhearted, the ones that are far beyond my reach. Give me your heart for the ones forgotten. Give me your eyes so I can see. And that is exactly what we should do. We should allow God to give us his eyes, right? His eyes of love. We should see people differently. The love of Christ, it changes us in so much that, that we don't see people, we don't know them, right? No man after the flesh. See, Paul no longer viewed people from a worldly point of view. At one time, Paul did, didn't he? He hated Jesus Christ. He hated the church. He thought that Jesus was a fraud. He wanted to destroy all of, of Christianity at that time, but now he understands how wrong he was about Jesus. Because now he sees Jesus really loved the unlovable. Now Paul sees that he loved those who were his enemies and he died for them, Paul being one of them, right? And that the gospel truth, it gave Paul a new perspective of the people around him. That love of God constrained him to see people as someone Jesus loves. And church, we must look at the gospel and it, it should constrain us to love people. To see people not just because of their faces, 
their social status, their race, but to see them as God sees them. You know, the sad thing is, is there's a lot of, in our churches today, there's a lot of other things that constrain us, that compel us, right? Um, that one of, the, one of the definitions I think of, of compel is something that you can't stop talking about. There's a lot of things in our world today that compel us, but oftentimes it's not the love of God. In a, in a research, and I don't know how they all get this research, but it, it was online, so it must be true. <laughs> but in 2016, a research showed that Christians were more likely, listen to this, to share their opinions on politics than the gospel. More than likely to, to share their opinions on politics than they were the gospel. And I don't know how they get this research and I really don't know if it's, if it's true, but I think there is some truth to that. There are other things in our lives that compel us other than the love of God, other than his love in our life. Let me, let me say this. You've never met a person that God does not consider valuable. You've never met a person that God does not love. Listen, if I said this name, some of you probably have, you're automatically thinking things, but Nancy Pelosi, don't think too much, right? God loves her. That's, God loves her. I mean, when we, th- when we think of these other, we, we think of, uh, of that, that individual who, who carries around the black power or the white power flag down the street. God loves that individual. There's a guy by the name of Bruce Jenner who's now Caitlyn Jenner. God loves him. God loves him. God loves these individuals. Understand, they are not our enemy. They are the mission field. And Paul is saying here, I'm not looking at people just from their outward appearance. I'm looking at them for their soul. That too, that Jesus died for them just like he died for me. You see, when we look at the gospel, we also should have a new view of people around us. That's why we say be gospel-centered, live a gospel-centered life where the gospel is continually on your mind because when it is, you see people differently. We should see them as sinners for whom Christ died for. We should no longer see them as friends or enemies, customers or coworkers. We should see them the way that Christ sees them as lost sheep who need a shepherd. You see, when we are constrained by the love of Christ, you want to share his love with others, no matter who they are. Paul continues in verse number 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. And old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You know, one day Paul was killing Christians and now he is a Christian. You know, one day Peter was was a fisherman, but now he is fishing for men. 
right? If God can create the whole world in six days, he can surely create a new heart in one. And that's what he's saying here. Listen, look at, don't look at these people. Look at them for their soul because God can work a miracle in their life. His gospel can change them, can transform them. See, God doesn't care about the outward, the outside appearances. He focuses on the heart. Ray Pritchard, uh, an author, writes this. He says, we look at the outward, God looks at the inward. We value popularity, God values character. We look at intelligence, and God looks at the heart. We honor those with money, God honors those with integrity. We talk about what we own, God talks about what we give away. We list our accomplishments, and God looks for a contrite heart. We value education, and God values wisdom. We love size, God notices quality. We live for fame, God searches for humility. Our view is shallow, God's view is deep. Our view is temporary, God's view is eternal. Listen, God doesn't want to make people better. He wants to make them new. He wants to make them new. Becoming a a Christian isn't like joining a club. It's like a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. It's transformation. You see, when you look at at the gospel, you should be motivated to see people the right way, church. And know that God wants to transform them and know that he can. Look at verse number 18. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Reconciliation means to exchange. It means to change from an enemy to a friend. Out of all the religious systems of all the world, only God The one true God is a reconciling God. You see, God did not need to be reconciled to us. We needed to be reconciled to him. And we were powerless to do that on our own. We could not do good enough deeds or hop high enough for his holiness. God is eager to forgive. Listen, he didn't count men's sins against them. Look at verse number 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. All those of those sins have been paid for, and God no longer holds them against us. Aren't you thankful for that, those who are saved? Listen, because we have trusted Christ as our Savior, but even more, God has put to our account the very righteousness of Christ. So that when God sees us, he sees Christ. We can't, even, we can't even fathom that, can we? we? We really can't even grasp that. That God sees Christ in us, but also reconciliation is based on imputation, right? Because the demands of God's holy law, they were fully met on the cross, God can be reconciled to sinners, amen? And those who believe on Jesus Christ as their savior will never have their sins imputed against them 
again. You see, as far as, as there are records are concerned, we share the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus took our sins and paid the price for our rebellion, even though he never sinned. So how does that wonderful doctrine, that teaching of reconciliation, motivate us to serve Christ? Because he tells us in verse number 20, we are ambassadors with a message. God has committed to us the ministry and the word of reconciliation. You know, we are to love our enemies. We talked about that on Wednesday night for you that that were here on Wednesday night. We are to love our enemies. You know, when God looked at us, he saw an enemy. Because us in our sin, we were at enmity with God, the Bible says. And when he saw us, he saw an enemy. But what? He still went to the cross and he died for you. And he still went to the cross and he died for me, an enemy. And we should allow that gospel truth in our life to to be in in the ministry of reconciliation. He's called us to be an ambassador. Look at verse number 20. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. You see, in the Roman Empire, there were two types of provinces. There was the senatorial province and the imperial province. The senatorial provinces, they were already at peace with Rome. Whether they, they submitted to Rome or they were subdued. They were at peace, but the imperial provinces were not at peace with Rome. And so what did Rome do? Rome sent out these ambassadors to make sure that rebellion didn't break out in those provinces. They sent out these individuals to keep the peace, these ambassadors. Ray Stedman says this, why do we send ambassadors? Well, because countries do not always relate to each other very well. Things need to be explained need to be approached with uh, diplomacy and caution and carefulness. That is what an ambassador is to do. He is to be a representative of a government, handling himself with such care and confidence that the message that his government seeks to convey is given in the most painless and least offensive way possible. You understand that in this dark world that we live in, we get to be Christ's ambassadors the ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven, right? His kingdom. And we are to get out to to those that are lost and to share the wonderful news of peace with them, that Jesus is peace, that he is hope, that he wants to reconcile them, that he died for them. And we are to be those type of ambassadors. Understand, we get to represent the king of kings and the Lord of lords the one who died to reconcile sinners. We are the channel through which God makes his appeal to the lost world. And Paul says, we pray you, meaning implore. We implore. It it literally means to beg others to be reconciled to Christ. How do we do that? By our words and by our lives. There's a poem that says this, You are writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by the deeds that you do and the words that you say. Men read what you and I write, distorted or true, 
what is the gospel according to you? Listen, does the love of Christ, does the gospel, the gospel truth of reconciliation, does that compel you to love others? Does that compel you to tell others of Jesus Christ? Listen, the gospel should motivate us to be a part of the ministry of reconciliation. To be ambassadors for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God desires that we here at Fellowship Baptist Church have a culture of kingdom builders. And if we are are going to be these kingdom builders, then it will be motivated by the love of Jesus and his gospel. Church, allow the gospel message of Jesus Christ to transform you, to change the way that you see people, to be concerned about their reconciliation, to be a part of the ministry of reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, we, don't, we did not deserve the love of Christ. We can never do anything to deserve it. But he loved us so much that he died for us so that we might be reconciled to God. And that love, that love should compel you to tell others about Jesus Christ. Let us be a culture. Let us have a culture here of kingdom. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Fellowship Baptist Church. Come visit us at 2501 Michigan Avenue, Panama City, Florida. For more information, check out fbcpanamacity.com.